Welcome to the Ward Zero podcast, covering the civic issues you most want to talk about. You are now entering Ward Zero. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of the Ward Zero podcast. My name is Asmahan Razavi, and I am joined by Darren Kraus and Jeremy Zhao. Before we begin, we do want to acknowledge in the spirit of reconciliation that we live, work, and record this podcast on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Siksika, the Kainai, the Pekani peoples, the Sutina, the Sony Nakoda Nations, Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their home in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Today, here's what we're going to talk about. The event center is back in the news and Edmonton's bold cycling infrastructure plan and what it says about Edmonton and Calgary. But we're going to begin with hot takes and I'm going to go first. Many of you have probably heard about the Alberta is calling campaign that uh, Premier Kenny announced. Uh, It's been it's been, you know, probably a, a week or so now. And we've seen uh, news coverage of ads popping up uh, on Young Street sta- Young Station in, in Toronto on the TTC, designed to entice people in Toronto to come move here to Calgary and to Alberta more broadly. Uh, and I wanted to say I was at an event a few nights ago, and uh, the event was largely made up of people who were in their 60s, maybe 70s as well. And they were all talking about their, you know, highly educated uh, professional children and how they've all fled the province. And some of the discussions there were really interesting. Um, a few of them had children who were in the arts. Uh, you know, one has moved to Vancouver to be in film. Another is in uh, now working in the arts in Toronto. But there were a few of them there with do- doctor children who have fled the province. So I don't know. This is a $2.3 million campaign of like, you know, I would say not even so nice posters that are being posted on the TTC in Toronto. And uh, I am very, very skeptical of the impact this campaign is going to have. Also, I will say that I do find it strange that the initial video that came out of the for this campaign was like a car driving in like a really, really like it was like an empty road with like nothing nothing around it. And I'm not so sure that that's the kind of image you want to be showing people who, uh, you know, are living in like cities because we, you know, do have a lot of cool things to show in this province. So that's my little, that's my little rant. If there's one thing, yeah, well, if if I, I, I do have a hot take, but if there's one thing that I can mention with regard to this is uh, Alberta saw its biggest interprovincial migration it, since 2014 uh just i think over the last quarter i think it was or or maybe to this point this year i don't know the the specifics so whether or not it's the alberta is is calling campaign that is actually driving people out here or whether people are seeing op- more opportunity in uh let's say film and television or in the oil and gas industry i mean because that's that's been doing well here over the past number of months or the tech sector. So so maybe Calgary isn't benefiting from the Alberta is calling thing, but uh, I do think that a lot of people are coming to Alberta for uh, for a variety of reasons. There are a lot of good reasons to come here. It's why I moved here. I'm just not, not so sure this campaign is what's going to attract people. 
That's fair enough. One of the other reasons that um, we may see a drop in interprovincial migration. <laughs> oh, um, gosh. Gosh, I shouldn't say that is my hot take. Um, many of you may have read a Don Braid piece. Actually, I I think no, there was only one piece, but he did he did update it. That piece included some research from Janet Brown, uh, a pollster and and market research person here in in Alberta that showed that if Danielle Smith becomes the leader of the UCP and therefore the premier of Alberta, it could actually pave the way for an NDP victory in the next provincial election. Now, for those of you out there who are going, oh, well, that's just that's just one poll. That's just one poll. Um, it was followed up the next day by uh, the addition of another poll that seems to show the exact same thing. So I think this is something that a lot of people, uh, particularly political watchers, thought was when you appeal to the fringes and you attract fringe voters, you are certainly not representing the bulk of Albertans. And I've seen more and more Albertans feeling like the only choice they have is to vote NDP because they just don't want Danielle Smith. Well, October 6th is uh, going to be a very, very interesting day for this province. Okay, so we're going to go into some quick hits, and I'm going to turn it over to you, Darren. Oh, boy, here we go. There are a couple of quick hits here. So uh, first off, I know that this noise issue in the Beltline has been ongoing for years, but it looks like there may be uh, a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, on this there are new peace officer powers that are expected to come into effect in, on January 2023. And through that, it will allow peace officers to make traffic stops. Uh, Courtney Walcott, Ward 8 counselor who had brought this forward, said one of the biggest issues in the past was that the bylaw officers, the people who can enforce the city's noise bylaw, weren't allowed to make traffic stops when these things happen. So they would actually have to get them at a certain spot based on complaint. And it was, it just made enforcement really, really difficult. So that should allow peace officers to make these traffic stops when the decibel limit is exceeded. So that'll be interesting. Uh, we may see a pilot project later on in uh, next summer. The single-use item ban, it's an interesting one because what it does is it essentially charges people for single-use items like bags and whatnot, but also makes it necessary for you to request them. And it's interesting because and maybe, <laughs> see, maybe we always forgot that or thought that the organization forgot that we, we wanted forks or knives or ketchup packets or whatever, but maybe they were already implementing this in their own restaurant or, or coffee shop or whatnot, but you will have to request those in the future. Uh, and so that's kind of interesting. And so this is all uh, a part of the city's plan to reduce the millions of pieces of single use items that are put into the waste and recycling streams every week. So that will be uh, that will be interesting to see. I know uh, in the show notes here, there's there's some concern uh, by others that perhaps this is a little bit redundant with the federal government's 
announcement on the ban of single-use plastics. But I think um, what the city had said was they wanted to announce afterwards because they wanted to be able to assess what the federal government's plan was and then do something that was complementary. I actually, for one, kind of think that it is more complementary than than redundant, but you're not here for my opinion necessarily. <laughs> I know. Um, I added that I added that note because the the comment from Councillor Winus was interesting when she talked about it being redundant, but I saw it as a is the city always reacting to things that have already happened? There have been other municipalities that have done this before the federal government, you know, even announced their intentions for single-use plastic bans. You know, it's more, I guess it's more heightened over on, on the island where I live now because people don't really don't want to see single-use plastics floating in the oceans as they're going for their their beach friends or whatever. But it, it, it seems to me it's always a reactionary thing. And then they talk about it being redundant rather than being proactive at the beginning. I, I think in this case, though, what they wanted was for it to not be redundant. And therefore, it appears to be reactive, but it gave them the opportunity to analyze and go, OK, so where are we filling gaps here that aren't addressed by the federal government's single use plastics ban? So I, at least that that would be the theory behind uh, what the city's done here. Finally, the quick hit that all of you have been waiting for. Actually, I've been waiting for it for months. New Livewire Calgary website. I'm not sure if you guys have seen it, but I, I love it. And I just want to give a shout out to Aaron Toombs because he put in a lot of hours and a lot of effort to uh, get the website to where it is today. We still have a lot of work on it because we want to do some amazing creative things with it. Um, along with that, the smartphone appearance is much different as well. So uh, go check it out, livewirecalgary.com. It's great. I've been on it on my phone with, and on, on desktop and it looks lovely. So we are going to go into our first segment of the day and surprise, surprise, back in the news is the event center. And Darren, I want to congratulate you and Livewire on, on breaking a story here. Um, you broke that, you know, the closeout costs from the event center were $16.8 million. I know that, um, you know, Mayor Gondak has said that she hopes that that $16.8 million will actually, you know, help the city get to a better place on a future deal. There is still ongoing negotiations happening about the event center behind closed doors. Here we are. It, it's it's back in the news. What do you guys think? Is, is this going to even happen? Do we, there's been stories about the saddle domes, crumbling infrastructure. Do people love arenas, hate arenas, public money in arenas? What are your thoughts here? I guess no. Yeah, I was I was typing this segment piece out, and then I got thinking really, quote unquote, big picture. Where I go, like, why do why do we love or loathe these big arena infrastructure projects? It really is something I think that it that speaks to what people want to see when they live in a city, and how we I guess grow as a city. You know, it, it's always interesting to see 
people talk about this stuff because they're so invested. It's almost like it's at a certain point, it's almost like one of those, uh, it's that fallacy where you've been so invested. We've been so invested in, for example, the Calgary Flames that we could never see any other alternative if they were to leave because we don't have that arena in place. But there's also that argument. And I, I also understand that argument that the more public money we invest in this, this one big arena that is definitely closed off to a lot of people who may not be able to afford to go see events, you know, big events, concerts, sporting events that we kind of uh, isolate that specific demographic and and we only cater to a certain population and and, and really got me thinking we we keep talking about these costs but I don't know if the bigger picture the bigger question is do we love or hate arenas we love these big infrastructure projects that really seem to only allow certain groups to be able to to participate in, in in most cases well, I was just in San Francisco and they have so many arenas there. <laughs> I was like so interested in that. I guess one arena for like every sports team and there are many sports teams in San Francisco. I think, you know, I'm the kind of person who likes to go to concerts. I like those types of like big communal events. But to your point, Jeremy, my liking those experiences indicates a certain ability on my part to be able to purchase tickets and engage in those sorts of activities. And so I think the real question for me behind this is I think arenas are cool. But I have a question about how much public money, if any public money at all, should go towards it. Um, and I think, you know, when we look at the sorts of issues that we're that we're facing as a city and the kinds of things that we can invest money in, things that create um, more communal experiences that everyone can access, I would argue that those types of projects and like infrastructure projects should be top of mind for any city politician who is uh, thinking about what to invest our money in. You know, I've spent a lot of time just go, going back even to when I was with Metro. I mean, obviously, there was conversation about a new arena back then. But also, I went through the Edmonton Arena saga. And I wouldn't say that I'm opposed to new arenas, because you're right. We do love new arenas. We love the new infrastructure. I've been to a number of of new arenas, whether it's the the Seattle baseball field or the uh, the Brooklyn arena for for basketball and and hockey. And there's no doubt there's there's some real beauty in the architecture and and just the space the the they're so much better than the arenas of old. I think the one thing that I've landed on is is I I actually think that there is a reputational risk for a city to not have this kind of infrastructure. How would we look if we didn't have a place where an orchestra could play to to you know thousands of people or or we didn't have theaters where we could watch the latest great touring Broadway show. But I think what it comes down to is a lot of those operations are nonprofit or um, if they are profit, they're just skinning by. Uh, whereas we're looking at a company that makes millions, tens of millions, if not, you know, is worth billions or, or, or whatnot, if you include the infrastructure, um, or or their owners rather are worth in the billions, and I, I think that's where many people draw the line in terms of the public cash. Is 
is we're okay with public cash for things like arts commons because arts commons is is costing a lot of money as well but there aren't billionaire people behind it who could afford to build this infra uh, infrastructure themselves so i think that's where a lot of people draw the line in terms of these closeout costs i think 17 million dollars when you take a look at what was done whether it's the enabling works for some of the asphalt and the sidewalks and whatnot i think these are all reasonable costs i was actually talking with with somebody um, who is connected to a, a designer developer of big infrastructure projects like these and they said this is actually kind of normal for like a normal cost for these kinds of projects so so I don't think that we should be really too surprised by the $16.8 million for these closeout costs. Uh, it's just a part of doing business. What I will say is, and it was interesting because I was asked whether this was a Darren story or if this was an actual story. And that's this idea of, of where the disclosure of this money came. And you're probably all sitting there thinking right now, well, Darren, this is a Darren story. But the city and through that councillor, Sonia Sharp, chair of the event center committee, said that they really want to be as transparent as possible throughout this whole process. And planning and development GM Stuart Dalglish has said they want to be upfront about these numbers and they would be making them public. But it came in a briefing note at the most recent executive committee and i think this is this is probably the one thing that really disappointed me the most is a briefing note doesn't actually get brought up in public so had i not seen the briefing note just been an interested city hall nerd and clicked on it just to see if there was anything interesting and found that there's a there's a high likelihood, although I do know that Scott Dipple was also uh, on on that story as well. But there's a high likelihood that the general public would not have seen it, and that bothers me. Why wouldn't they have made it a an agenda item? Why wouldn't they have wanted to maybe not shout it from the rooftops, but at least give good proper public discourse on these closeout costs, just to take that element of transparency a little higher. When we're talking about the arena deal going forward, I just kind of wish that they would not do the minimum, not keep that bar low in terms of disclosure, but I kind of wish that they would raise the bar and go, what does the public want to know? And how can we make sure that we're doing as much as we can out in the open? Sorry, that was really long-winded. Oh, I'm curious. Is, is that a, is that a, Thing, I guess that cities particularly cities do where they they say they want to be transparent but then there's all this it gets hidden in something it, you know I, I saw the same kind of thing that you were concerned about Darren in in the city of Victoria for the listeners so there was a very recent um I guess review a governance review done at the city level and they released a report from MNP but for somebody like me, I couldn't find it anywhere. And it was hidden in the agenda at the very bottom in this random link. And that's the only way you could get to that document. And I'm going, well, the this structure is very similar to what the city of Calgary has. And the whole point of the governance review was about increased transparency, a, a an integrity commissioner 
and it was hidden at the very bottom where nobody could find it. I asked uh, the, I'm on the residents association and they couldn't find it. And we had to reach out to the city for them to point us to where the exact link was. So I'm wondering if this is symptomatic of not just Calgary, of just cities in general and how they, they put things together and how they organize. What they're doing is they're, they're meeting their obligation to make it public, which is what they said, but they aren't doing it in a way that attracts a lot of attention. I think they would have been just as happy to let that slide in the briefing note. And then when somebody asked them, you know, what were the closeout costs? How much did it cost the city? They can go, well, we reported that publicly back in, in September. And so, you know, they, they wipe their hands clean of the whole situation. They say, no, we, we did what we were supposed to do. I think it's really interesting and speaks to a broader point, which is that we are living in a time with like the lowest level of trust in government. And so, you know, even if one can, one can assume charitably that perhaps there was, you know, there was a perception on the city's part that in disclosing this way, they were doing their due diligence in transparency and people who are interested can look and people who are not interested don't need to know. But at the same time, if like, I think if you are trying to cultivate a relationship with citizens that addresses this lack of trust, then building building trust includes being transparent and, and being transparent means not just publishing things, but um, making sure that people understand what is, you know, what it is that is, uh, I, I, people have an understanding of, of things like these costs. And I think one of the things that um, I'm just going to go back to my own like thoughts about the Olympics. So I voted for the Olympics. Um, I started off thinking I was going to vote for the Olympics. And then I almost turned into a no voter. Um, and the reason that I almost did that was because I felt like there was actually a lack of transparency around the discussions around costs related to the Olympics. I ended up voting yes because of the money for affordable housing and um, all the other investments that I think would have come to the city. But I remember very clearly, uh, Trevor Toom was like, like banging this drum. And I'm, I, I'm sorry if I'm not paraphrasing. He was saying, you know, was something that was upset, upsetting him or, or that he found maybe like interesting about the discussion was that everybody was talking about how uh, the Olympics were going to bring in like X number of like tourist dollars or whatever. And he was like, there's actually no economic, you know, evidence of that. Um, like, let's be more transparent about why we want this. We want this for like reputational reasons. We want this because we want to have like good sporting infrastructure and that will bring like this, this and this or affordable housing money and whatever. And I think the same is true for the arena. Like, if we're if we can just have like an honest discussion about like what arena means to the city and not frame it in a way that is i would argue like not not completely accurate then i i think maybe the public would actually have a, a more positive discourse around it because like you asked a question Darren earlier in your comment that was like you know what does it mean for a city not to have an arena and i think that's an important question to ask but i think like if we're framing it in terms of like, oh, like it's, you know, we're spending all this money, but it's going to bring X amount of money. You know, a lot of economists have shown that that's not true. And so that's where I think that discussion around public money is is so important. Are we disclosing our, what our voting intentions were during the Olympics? Because oh, well. I'll, do, I'll do it. I'll do it. I mean, I voted no. And okay. one of the reasons why I voted no was because there was that last minute update on costs from the uh, the city 
And I just said, I can't make an informed decision with such a last minute update. And that reduced my confidence in having a successful run at the Olympics. And there were other things as well on my mind at that time. And, and I, I like you, like, I like how you brought up the Olympics because that rolled into um, confidence in terms of numbers, in terms of finances. Every time there's an, an update for the event center, it's always in camera. Like we just go straight to in camera for the event center. So how am I as a regular citizen supposed to know what's going on? Do I just trust that the process is uh, going well? I don't know if there's a lot of complications in the background. How do how does the city instill trust to a citizen like myself or a former citizen, sorry, and say, hey, we're doing everything we possibly can when you know, things like, you know, small numbers that Darren's brought up that he's uncovered, like, like, there's no, there's no way for me to make, make sound judgment and to, to have trust when everything is behind closed doors. I understand there's certain limits, legal limits, but it's like, I'm out of the loop until the very last moment. So why would I trust anybody? Well, and if you recall from the last event center, most of it was kept behind closed doors, not all of it, um, until there was a deal. And then there was a week of basically public consultation on it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, I mean, I, I think that question was asked, I, you, to be honest, I think I, I may have asked it that we could end up in that same situation where we're going to all of a sudden get a deal. The public is going to have a week to digest it. And before you know it, there's going to be a vote on it and we're going to move ahead on the Olympics. Not to make this a different one. <laughs> My um, fault. Yeah. I am. I am not a citizen of Calgary. Um, I am a citizen of outside Calgary. I was here when the last Olympics were, were on. It was a great time. Uh, it was wonderful. The issue that I had with the Olympics, I would have voted no had I been a citizen of Calgary. The issue that I had and although there were so that there was so much out there about keeping a, a lid on costs you just take a look at the track record of olympics and you know what esmahan you're absolutely right there would have been money for affordable housing there could have been money for a transit link to the airport which is something i know a lot of calgarians want but we're already seeing i mean let's think about it the Olympics would have gone off in three years from now. A lot of that infrastructure would have had to have been underway right now. You can't tell me that our $5 billion estimate would not have turned into 10 billion or 15 billion or 25 billion. And all of a sudden, that question that was never, ever answered comes up. Who's on the hook? for that other $20 billion. That question was never answered. And I would have been, uh, I that, that for that reason, I would have been a no vote. But to tie it back to the arena, that speaks to the transparency, the honesty. Look, let's have honest conversations about this stuff. And to Jeremy's point, if you have an honest conversation, as Ninchi used to put it, an adult conversation, a grown-up conversation, you know, I think that instills trust and people, while they may not like the public money spent, they understand that they were a part of the process. They got to have their say and okay, we will live with the arena. 
or we will live with the Olympics. But there's all sorts of cloak and dagger stuff that goes on behind the scenes that most of the public um, doesn't know. Actually, frankly, most of the media doesn't know. And I think that's what that's what really makes people go, gosh, I just don't know if I can support this. Yeah. And I think that's, that's why I brought up the example of the Olympics, because like my yes vote was in spite of, um, you know, in spite of the discussions from those who were, who were supporting the Olympics around finances, because I did not feel that it was, it was fully transparent. And I don't think that those questions were adequately answered. I just really wanted affordable housing, uh, uh, you know, a train line to the airport, big fan, we really need it ASAP. And, you know, I do think that, you know, there is value in having um, updates to the sporting facility. So that was my that was my personal thing. But I think you're completely right. People shouldn't be put in a situation where they're supporting a they're supporting a project in spite of what they're being told. That's not the kind of relationship we should be having with our government. The government, you know, any kind of administration needs to be transparent so that people can make the most informed decision. And then when they when they have an understanding and when you frame it honestly, then we can say like, okay, yeah, you know what? This is actually a good city building project, even if it's going to cost us X. Or you know what? No, this is not worth it because we could be spending on this, this, and this, and that would be just as good for thing, and if not better. Uh, and it would, you know, it would be more affordable, and also, you know, we would not be paying costs that billionaires can pay. Sorry, I'm just gonna say that. Let's talk about Edmonton for a second. So Edmonton has a proposal on hand to discuss $170 million for 100 kilometers of bike infrastructure to be spent over the next four years. Um, This is going to come up during their budget cycle. And Darren and Jeremy, if this were coming up in Calgary's budget cycle, what do you think would happen? (laughs) <laughs> you well, know i don't even think it'd be, it, it it's it's a no <laughs> yeah. was that uh, a rhetorical uh, question <laughs> yeah no uh hey look it's uh it was interesting because i did see a tweet you know when things like this happen and whether it's calgary who starts off with something or Edmonton who starts off with something, there's always that battle of alberta type thing and you know it's it's almost eye rolling now or eye roll worthy when it happens but you know uh people will see this 170 million it's your move yyccc you know you always see those those kinds of tweets and so in in this particular case as a result of some of those tweets where hey calgary are you watching look at what edmonton's doing councillor courtney penner did post a tweet and said, yeah, we have noticed. It is interesting. And it's prompted some some discussions with councillors. I don't think that anything like this would go forward. Uh, here's, here's some of the reasons why, though. Uh, the city of Calgary is committed to a certain tax increase, or I want to make sure that I frame this appropriately. The city of Calgary has agreed to limit the amount of additional property tax revenue needed in the upcoming four-year cycle. So that means that if we were to embark on something like this, it would take a massive capital effort that would come from reserves, perhaps. And we would need to make sure that that money was available in the operating cost. And right now, it's not in the operating cost. And that means that something would have to come out 
based on the budget preview that they have right now, or they would have to rescind that rule that they made for their budget cap and add more to the potential property tax revenue. Right now, I don't see either of those as particularly palatable for, for Calgarians uh, who are already looking at somewhere around a 3 or 4% tax increase. Now, that's, of course, most people looking at the short game. There's obviously a long game that I think we've probably talked about in this, this podcast before uh, in terms of the, the social and health benefits that we get from increased bike infrastructure. But I just don't see it as something that that would even we we would never be as bold in this city to do something like that, despite the fact that we've got better weather, more sun, all of the right factors that that could actually make this better in Calgary than in Edmonton. Yeah, I'm just a hard no. It's not going to happen. It's, I mean, and the reason reason why I'm saying that uh, beyond the the Calgary stuff in general, you know living in victoria already where it's nice year round right there's already a struggle we'll call it to continue on the 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 bike infrastructure building even within the greater victoria region there's a lot of pushback already just just people trying to adapt people trying to understand how bike lanes can be complementary to other modes as an uh, uh, as a mode of transportation i guess beyond just cars and so if it's already struggling on the island and we're seeing we're seeing bold moves in edmonton i i it's just very hard to fathom how how that can be pushed forward in calgary in in a location that you know may not be conducive to biking year round for the majority of citizens. Esmahan, can I just read a couple of comments from the Edmonton Journal story here <laughs> oh, really yeah. quickly? Go for it. So Murray B, I think city council needs to stop with the wishful thinking that Edmonton is not a northern city covered in ice and snow for half the year. It is not magically going to turn into Acapulco North, no matter how much the lefties pray to their climate change gods. Um, I wanted to go to another one. Oh, Ron Small kind of proves that this council and mayor have completely lost their their minds. Uh, Mike Warren, I don't pay taxes in Edmonton. I think it's a smashing idea. Looking forward to bringing my family in to ride on your paved trails. Thank you, Edmonton taxpayers. Thank you, Edmontonians, for voting in these people who like to spend your hard-earned dollars. One final one, Wayne Milligan. I drive through the Victoria Promenade pilot project every day. It's an unsightly obstacle course of concrete and plastic cones where cyclists are rarely seen, even in summer. Building bike lanes in a winter city like Edmonton in order to, quote, fight climate change as China builds coal plants hand over fist is a comedy of bureaucratic errors. I'd love to see the science proving that building bike lanes in Edmonton has any impact on global climate. that's just a sample. I didn't cherry pick. Those are like almost right in a row. Are you surprised by those comments? To use the vernacular of one Jeremy Zhao? No, hard no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me neither. Me neither. 
Well, I also don't think that this would pass here. Um, I thought this was a really interesting thing to talk about, though. And thanks for bringing it up, Jeremy, because I remember and I'm like referring to the Olympics again. I remember when the Olympics didn't pass, there was a worry um, among a lot of people in the city that, you know, we turned into like a city that would like say no to a lot of things. I was just wondering if you all think that that perception is still there for us here in Calgary and if that if our reputation compared to Edmonton, ha, you know, is, is different on this at all. I don't think that we've become a city of saying no. Uh, in fact, I think a lot of people would think we're a city of saying yes. I think the real key, and I'll keep this totally short, is saying yes to the right things and not dipping our toes into that quote unquote pet project area. I like that. A quick a quick point is we're saying we're saying yes and no to certain things only because we were we were forced to sometimes how I view things. Things, you know, economic wise has changed for the city, whether they whether we liked it or not. And that has forced the city to adapt. And it's it's cool to see actually Calgary adapt, you know, changing downtown offices to affordable housing, you know, embarking on bike infrastructure understanding there is a, a economy more than just oil and gas those are cool and interesting things whether you know that change was a voluntary or not well i was asking the question because i also kind of wanted to set myself up to say that i feel a lot of optimism for calgary and uh, i think that well we have some like really cool things on the horizon so i'm excited for us as a city always thank you so much for joining us before i say goodbye i'm gonna throw it over to you darren really quick just a reminder that live wire calgary and as a part of that the word zero podcast is funded by the community right now we want to draw 500 members at a very simple and affordable $10 per month to preserve strong local journalism. You can join us at patreon.com slash livewirecalgary. But if you're not ready to do that monthly thing, which you know what, a lot of people are not, you can make a one-time donation and you can do that at livewirecalgary.com. You can find it on our new shiny website under the membership tab. It's a really important time to support quality local journalism the post media papers. I'm sorry, I gotta put this in there. The post media papers cutting back their their paper coverage on Mondays. Uh, it's really important. We're moving forward. Others are pulling back. Now is the time to get in. Uh, so to give us a boost, uh, please do so if you can afford to. Thank you, Darren. If you want to chat municipal politics with us, just a reminder that there are a lot of ways to do so. Uh, Twitter spaces, Darren, I know you're working on ideas on how to move it forward. So if any of you listeners have ideas, don't forget to tweet at Darren. He's at livewire underscore DK. Uh, let him know how you think Twitter spaces should go forward. You know, what you think about the things we talked about today. And you can also, uh, you know, tweet at Jeremy and me. So Jeremy is at JZ from Calgary and I'm at Esmahan YYC. We all want to hear your thoughts. Uh, you know, municipal stuff is starting to heat up again. Summer is over. And thank you for joining us. Bye.